Um, last week, uh, we started a, a sermon series, a new sermon series called Be the Church. Uh, and, and we started out this sermon series on Be the Church uh, by talking about uh, the ways in which our, our words have the ability to bring death and to bring life. Now, uh, we looked at Proverbs 18, 21, which tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, it's kind of saying the words that we use when we talk to one another, when we talk about one another, uh, are, are important because we can use our words to tear people down. Uh, we can use uh, our words, whether it's uh, dishonesty or gossip or even the harsh things we say to, to tear people down, to bring death, or uh, we can also choose with the words that we use and the way that we talk about others to offer encouragement, ways to speak life. And so we said that if we want to see transformation in our speech, uh, it comes from a few different things. One, uh, it comes from filling ourselves with Jesus, to, to allow Jesus to be at work in our hearts, within our lives, to transform us, from drawing closer to him. Jesus says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so whatever we have stored up inside of us is, is the thing that's going to come out. Whatever we are feeding our souls with is going to be the thing that comes out when we talk to others. If, if we're watching uh, angry people scream about how awful the world is all the time, you know, we're going to become uh, angry people who scream about how awful the world is all the time. Uh, if we are feeding ourselves with Jesus, who is reminding us of his love and his grace for us, then over time we'll be transformed into people that be able to offer that love and grace to others. And so we committed last week to, to filling ourselves with Jesus. We, we encouraged each other to, to make the commitment to offer encouragement to one other person uh, throughout the week, just to make that a habit in our lives, to set aside uh, each week, who, who am I going to offer encouragement to this week? How am I going to be intentional about this new practice and new, this new habit that as I, I start focusing my attention in that way, that, that my heart, my life begins to take that shape as well. And then we talked about the importance uh, of being in a Bible study, a small group, a Sunday school class, so that we could build stronger connections with each other around God's Word. So we become that kind of encouraging group for one another. So whenever we're building each other up on a regular basis, we're, we're more empowered to, to do that in the world around us. And so I hope that we're practicing these things. I hope that we're making these commitments to fill ourselves on Jesus, to encourage one another, to, to be involved in connection and community with others. I think if we do, it will truly transform our speech. It'll transform our lives and our relationships with others. But as we're practicing these habits, and we're probably not going to have them perfect just yet. Right? There's going to be times probably where we say some things that we wish we could take back. Uh, and there's probably going to be some times where people say things to us or about us that are still going to be pretty hurtful. Uh, and so what do we do in this meantime before our speech is perfected uh, and, and we're still in this space where, where we might say things that are hurtful to others or they might say things that are hurtful towards us? Uh, and this is important because uh, there's this old saying that says, hurt people hurt people, right? When we've experienced hurt within our lives, a lot of times we uh, do things that are hurtful towards others. When we don't take care of it, when we don't process it, when we don't uh, find a way of, of, of healing uh, through that. There was a, a Liberty Mutual commercial uh, a few years ago, and it actually kind of, it showed the opposite sort of perspective, but I think the same thing is true in both ways. In the Liberty Mutual commercial, it starts by showing, 
you know, like uh, some young guy who's walking an elderly person across the street. And it's like, oh, this is heartwarming. This feels good. And, and so somebody else sees what takes place and they're moved and motivated and encouraged by it. And so later on in the day, there's like a big rainstorm and, and somebody's trying to catch a cab or, or an Uber or something. Uh, and they hold an umbrella while the person goes to run and hop in the car. And they're getting soaked themselves so that this other person can stay dry. Uh, and then that person who stays dry is just really grateful for what happened. And so when they're at Starbucks later, you know, they buy the drink for the person behind them. And then, you know, the server at Starbucks is so encouraged by this that they're the young person that walks, you know, the the older person across the street, right? It kind of shows how one good act encourages another good act. And and unfortunately, uh, in the same way that doing good is uh, can be contagious. I think our, our hurtful words, the, the hurtful things that we've experienced can also become contagious towards others. When somebody does something that's hurtful to us, we, we pay that forward. And so how do we keep from multiplying that hurt? And even more so, how do we take the hurtful things that have occurred to us, even the things that happen in church, and instead of making it worse, how do we find a way to stay in relationship with others and even build a stronger community through that? Jesus offers us some instruction. It comes in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. I'll invite you to open your Bibles with me there to Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and he's telling them, you know, uh, all, all kinds of great, wonderful teachings. And as a part of that, he, he offers this wisdom to them. He says, beginning in verse 15, Uh, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So Jesus' first words here are so important. If another member of the church sins against you, Find the time when the two of you are alone. Go to them in private. Point it out. If the other person confesses, you have won them back. And and I think when Jesus is saying this, and not trying to tell Jesus what to say, uh, but but I think Jesus probably could have said, when uh, another member of the church sins against you, when another member of the church does something that's hurtful towards you, because really, it's going to happen. I I think that's part of the nature of us being uh, imperfect people, is there are going to be things whenever uh, that happen when we, we do things that cause hurt for others. We're going to experience hurt even from people with inside the church. Somebody's going to say something or do something that causes offense. Somebody's going to do something you don't like or even more so, something that's going to cause hurt. And so what do we do when that happens? Not just if, but when that happens. What do we do? Well, what does Jesus say? He says, uh, you know, when somebody sins against you, then leave the church and never come back. That's not what he says, right? But, but how often does that happen, though? Right? There are so many instances, so many times when people get offended by something and they just leave. Maybe they go to another church, 
Maybe they stopped going to church altogether. I mean, but I've seen so many things, even on social media, where, where people have church hurt. Times and places where they've been hurt by things that have happened with inside the church, and so they just give up on the whole thing altogether. I just want to say, and this isn't because um, I'm pastoring a church, but because I believe that it's true that, that, that it doesn't resolve anything. To just leave doesn't fix anything. The person who caused the hurt is probably going to go on to hurt somebody else because they've never been confronted with the ways that they've uh, actually hurt people. The person who leaves the church and who disassociates from those who have created hurt within them, uh, a lot of times leave God behind as part of the process. A lot of times their faith begins to falter. There's, there's nothing good that comes from just my first reaction being to leave. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we have lots of experiences all the time where things don't happen right and we continue to engage in it. I go to McDonald's uh, way too many times, way more times than I would like. And, and I'm pretty sure that most of the time I go, I'm like, I am never going back to McDonald's again. Something happens and I'm like, this isn't right. But there I am two weeks later picking up a Happy Meal uh, for my kids and, and then a Big Mac for myself. And, and I keep going. I go to Walmart all the time, and I'm offended nearly every time I go there by something. But they've got stuff I need at prices that fit my budget, so I, I keep on going. Right? Don't give up on God. Right? Don't give up on church because somebody else who says they believe in God does something that's hurtful or does something that's offensive. Jesus offers us a different way. Uh, Jesus offers us a way that actually helps us to grow as a part of that process. So what do we do when somebody in the church sins against us? We go and tell a couple of our friends, and we turn that whole group of people against them, right? Jesus doesn't say that either. Uh, But that happens a lot of times too. We go and tell somebody else, and they're like, well, I can't believe they said that to you. I can't believe they said that about you, especially especially not to you. And, And somehow... We've all gotten pretty good at playing the victim. And so we know how to tell stories about things that happened to us where we find ourselves completely innocent in the story and we didn't have any part of it at all. Uh, and why don't we tell those parts of the story? Well, because it doesn't make us look good. It, it, it doesn't justify what the other person did, but it also it fails to tell the whole story. I remember, I remember when I was back in high school, I was sitting at the lunch table with my friends and, and one of my friends asked if he could have my drink. And so I let him have some of my drink. I began to drink it, and he kept drinking it, and he kept drinking it. I'm like, all right, that's enough. And he kept drinking it. And so I, I grabbed it. And, and the next thing you know, he's slamming the drink on the da- uh, down on the table, and, and we're ready to fight. And I mean, can you believe that guy? Can you believe this person, right? I mean, he's taking my drink, and now he wants to fight me over my drink. What I'm leaving out of the story is that when I grabbed the drink in his hand, I started shaking it. And so he had drink all over him, which is, which is probably why he wanted to fight over it. And, and, and maybe that's extreme, but, but we can all tell stories where we look completely innocent and we had no part in it. And, and the other person is just completely to blame for it. And so we're over here, we're, we're bad-mouthing this person, we're running them through the mud while we're trying to present ourselves as super clean. And now this person who is a brother or sister in Christ, now has a whole bunch of other people thinking that they're awful because of it. When, when our first reaction is to go and tell other people about what happened to us, and we, we don't 
confront the person who actually sinned against us, we're, we're multiplying that hurt. It, it doesn't resolve the situation for us. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't take away the hurt that we experience and feel, and so we're likely to replicate that ongoing. Our relationship with that person is still messed up, and now that person's relationship with other people is messed up. Right? Since we're still hurt, that, that hurt just continues to be multiplied to others. So what does Jesus say to do when a member of the church sins against us? We plot our revenge. Jesus doesn't say that either. Uh, this, this is the last one of these, but, but I think that's something that happens a lot, right? Like, that's another part of our sinful nature is that we want to get back. You've done something to me, and now I've got to get back at you. You need to feel the hurt that you caused me. And I, and I see this happen. The easiest illustrations is with my kids for this because it happens all the time where one of them pokes the other one, and then the, then he pokes back a little bit harder and then, you know, it escalates a little bit more and a little bit more because everybody's got to get back. And the next thing you know, there's like a, a WrestleMania on the living room floor and the Hulkster's jumping off the top rope and I got to come in and everybody's in trouble. And we do this as adults, though, in some ways, you know, we, 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 we get back and we find little things to get back and it escalates and it escalates. And then you see it on the news, on TV. Uh, scripture actually offers some really good wisdom here. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies, if the people who've done something that's hurt you or are hungry, then feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When, when, when you do good to people who have hurt you, to people who have maligned you, the scripture says it's like heaping hot coals on their head. I think it's one of these other old sayings that oftentimes proves true, that you kill them with kindness. Right? There's some way in which uh, whenever we are doing something kind for others, even people who have something against us, it just, it just multiplies within them. There's this feeling that it gets, which is like, oh my goodness, like how can I continue to, to replicate this? How can I continue to do this when this person is offering grace to me? And it's, it's not to let somebody take advantage of you. It's not... Uh, to let this person continue to do things that are hurtful towards you. I mean, there is a time when we have to step away from the situation, but it's our posture towards them is one in which we offer mercy. It's where we're putting them in God's hands. Instead of trying to take control of the situation for ourselves, we're, we're putting it in God's hands. We're letting God be the judge instead of us. And we're not allowing it to affect our souls. We're not allowing this evil that's been done to us to begin corrupting the inside of us from the inside out so that we begin to perpetuate that evil. Right? The scripture says, do not be overcome by evil and become evil yourself, but overcome that evil with good. I mean, can you imagine what a world would be like if we practice that? Right? If, if we practice overcoming evil by doing good, rather than, rather than pouring out more and more evil or bad stuff, if we just made it our general posture, you know what, I'm going to respond with mercy. I'm going to respond with grace. I'm going to respond with truth. I mean, what if we, what if we try that on social media as this next election rolls around? Right? 
Like, what, what if we didn't just turn it into this you know, slander and name calling that takes place? I mean, we could talk about facts, but, but not in a way that's insulting towards others. I mean, I think we would feel better. I think everybody else would feel better. I mean, there's a chance that we have as the church to model a different way of life to the world around us, a different way of being, a different way of relating to one another. And so what does Jesus say that we should do when our brother or sister sins against us? He says, go to them in private. Pull them aside one-on-one and talk to them. But pastor, I, I don't really like conflict. I don't think Jesus necessarily liked the idea of dying on the cross. He even prayed, Father, if there's another way for this to happen, make it happen, but your will be done. And yes, I pulled the Jesus dying on the cross card because he created you in his image and he created that other person in his image as well. And he didn't just die for your sins, he died for that other person's sins also. And he didn't just call you to be holy, he called that other person to be holy also. And so if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the family of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit that Jesus desires for us to be, that he actually gave his life for us to be, we've got to be able to do the hard things. Even whenever it it goes against who we are, even when it's not something that's comfortable for us, we have to go and do as Christ commands. So if you need to go and pray about it first, go and pray about it. Give it to Jesus and then go to the other person and tell them, hey, you know, this happened and, and I was really hurt by it. Hey, this happened and, and, and I, I need to talk to you about this. I mean, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we go around and we nitpick every single thing that somebody does. It doesn't mean that we become the judge and jury of everybody else in the church. It's if a brother or sister sins against you. And we have to follow Jesus' command to go and win them back. To win them back. See, notice that Jesus says, if they listen to you and they confess, if they hear you and you say, you know what? I messed up and I'm sorry. Jesus says that you won them back. That you, you've made a new connection. You've both been able to grow in your pursuit of Jesus. And you've modeled grace and you've modeled mercy. You've shown it to the other person the same way that Jesus has shown grace and mercy to you. And I, I believe these words from Jesus about how we handle conflict are so important uh, for the church and the world today. It's so important because it affects our own individual walks with Christ. It affects other people's relationship with Jesus. And it also affects our witness as followers of Jesus. And in a world where, where people are so easily offended, where we're so quick to go and put all of our feelings out on social media or sending letters to the editor, this might not be the letter to the editor crowd, but uh, where we're so quick to grab a gaggle of friends and circle the wagons, like we as a church have such an important way to give witness to the world around us about a different way, a, a way that's filled with the grace and the mercy of Jesus, a way that pursues reconciliation as a way of life because God has first offered that gift of reconciliation to us. You know, my, my favorite scripture verse, and if, if, if you're around the church long enough, hopefully one day you'll be able to quote it along with me, but it's Romans 5, 8. And it says this, it says that God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, Jesus died for us. 
We didn't go to him first and say, you know what, I'm sorry I sinned against you. He came to us and showed us mercy and grace. And so when you go to somebody who has sinned against you and you tell them about it and you offer them a chance to make it right, when you offer them grace, when you set it in your heart to offer them forgiveness, it's offering them Jesus. They, they can take it or leave it. That's their choice. Many people hear this good news about Jesus and they leave it behind. They decide not to receive it. We can't make the decision for people of how they respond. But we do need to offer that grace to them. We need to offer them the grace of being able to tell them, hey, you have hurt me. I think Jesus offers a little bit more instruction about it. He says, if the person doesn't listen, don't give up on them. Instead, go and find somebody else, a neutral party who can come and who can verify the words that are being said. Uh, Work through it. Don't give up on the person. Continue to work through it. He says, eventually, even if there's no reconciliation, he doesn't ever say that we should move on from this person. He says to treat them as somebody who is distant from Jesus because they, they won't receive that gift of grace. He says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, uh, somebody who is distant from God. Uh, and, and so what do we do with people that are distant from God? Do we just forget about them? Do we just give up on them? Do we treat them like garbage? No. What does Jesus do? Uh, Jesus says he leaves the 99 to go find the one that's lost, to go find the one uh, who has abandoned the rest of the flock. Jesus says that it's, it's not the well who need a doctor, but it's those who are sick. I, I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. We don't give up on somebody just because they've hurt us and because they won't receive uh, that opportunity to confess. We treat them as though they are somebody who is distant from Jesus. We continue to love them. Uh, maybe we don't put ourselves in harm's way anymore. Like we, we don't just continue to be hurt over and over and over and over again, but we, we pray for them. We love them from a distance with the hope that they find the kind of relationship with Jesus that causes them to pursue reconciliation. Because if they love Jesus and we love Jesus, then we should find a way that we can be reconciled with one another. Not that we have to be best friends, not that we have to go and hang out on the weekends, but that we find a way in which we can live alongside of one another, love and encourage and support one another. And I think this is the overarching message of what Jesus is trying to say, that it's about this being reconciled with God and being reconciled with one another, to to maintain relationship, that ultimately it's about our connection with God and others, because he follows up these verses that we read by telling a story that's focused on forgiveness. Right after Jesus teaches these instructions on how we handle conflict, the next thing that happens is uh, one of the disciples comes up and he says, okay, Jesus, I I hear you saying that I need to approach my brother or sister in Christ, and and I need to tell them what they've done. I need to be able to forgive them and move on, but how many times do I need to forgive them? Seven? And, And Jesus is like, well, you know, I've forgiven you probably like eight million times, so maybe let's, let's try 70 times seven. Right? Maybe, maybe you could be gracious with others because I've first been gracious with you. And then he goes on and he tells this story about uh, this guy who has a huge amount of debt. And, and if we're not sure about this parable, how it goes, like me and you, we're the people who have this huge amount of debt. And, and we owe the king uh, this great sum of money. We have this great debt, and the king calls in this guy who owes him a huge amount of debt, and he says, hey, it's time to settle this debt. I need you. I, I need you to pay up. And I said, well, I mean, I'm sorry. You, you know, I don't, I don't got it. Uh, maybe I can put something on it, but, but I don't have it. 
Uh, and the king says, no, I need it all or nothing. The guy says, I don't have it. He says, okay, well, you're going to be thrown uh, into prison, into debtor's prison uh, until you can work it off, until you can repay it. And the guy is like falling on his knees. He's begging. He's asking for mercy. He's like, he's like king, I'm sorry. I can't do this. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to my family. Don't, don't separate us. You know, what's going to happen to them if this happens? And the king in his great mercy says, okay, I'm going to forgive all of your debt. All of this huge amount of money that you owe me, all of this debt that you have, I'm just going to forgive it. All of it gone, all of it washed away, no more debt. And this guy is so thankful. He's beside himself with how grateful he is because this huge debt he has has been forgiven. And so while he's on his way home to tell his wife and his kids about how gracious the king has been to him, he comes across this other person uh, who owes him a little bit of money. As he's on his way home, he just bumps into this guy and he's like, hey, you know, don't you owe me a little bit? Like, didn't I, didn't I get you some McDonald's last week? <laughs> I need that $5 back. I need, or I guess it's $10. Now, I need that $10 back. And the guy says, I'm sorry, I don't have it right now. You know, I could, maybe I could give you a little bit, but I don't have the $10 on me right now. I'm just in a hard place. He says, no, I need it all back right now or, or nothing, or that's it. And the guy says, I don't have it. He says, okay, well, I'm going to have you thrown in to debtor's prison because you can't repay me that $10 that you owe me. And the king uh, finds out what happens. He, he finds out about this guy who's been forgiven this great sum of debt, who's holding over this little bit of offense uh, against this other person, and he's not happy. He, he calls the guy back in and he says, didn't I just show you mercy? Didn't I just forgive all of your debt? Didn't I just offer you an abundance of grace? I mean, you didn't do anything to earn that forgiveness that I've shown you. You didn't do anything to deserve the forgiveness that I have offered to you. I forgave your debt because I am kind. I forgave your debt because I love you, because I wanted you to be free. And you can't even offer a little bit of mercy and grace to your brother. The king ends up throwing him in jail instead. But but church, it paints an amazing picture for us. That we have been offered an abundance of mercy and grace. And, and I don't know your sins. I don't know what your life has been like. But I know that I had a debt that I couldn't repay. I know that I'm not good enough to be able to pay that back. That I've not done anything to be able to earn my own forgiveness. Or to deserve my own forgiveness. But yet God showed his love towards me. God showed his love towards you, that while we were still sinners, while our life was still a mess, while we were still doing things that were hurtful and wrong, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus paid our debt, that he offered us the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, He offered to us the promise of life everlasting and the invitation that Jesus gives us, the command that Jesus gives us, is that as people who have been forgiven much, we'd be able to offer mercy and grace to others when they sin against us. And if we've been forgiven of all of our debt, if all of our sins have been washed away, when somebody sins against us, to offer them the grace and the mercy, out of a heart of forgiveness and reconciliation, to go and to talk with them about it, to go and to share that with them and offer them the grace that enables them to experience transformation in their life. And it enables us to continue to grow through it. And so if you've got somebody in your life that you need to forgive, 
uh, that you need to go and talk to because they've sinned against you, uh, that you need to offer mercy to. I'm just going to invite you as, as we pray, uh, as we close in prayer, as we sing our final song, uh, to go and present that person to Jesus, to ask Jesus to give you the strength that you need so that you can talk to them in a way that offers grace and mercy, uh, to do that inner work of forgiving it, first within your heart and within your soul so that you can go and forgive them, to pray for them, to ask God to do good things for them and then to do good yourself. So as we pray together, I invite you to name those before you uh, in your hearts. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have offered us much grace, that you have offered to us uh, the forgiveness of a debt that we could never repay. Not because of what we've done, but because of your love for us. And so, Lord, uh, as we go through this life, there are people who have sinned against us, people who have hurt us, people who have offended us. We pray that you would help us to forgive them. As we name them in our hearts before you now, Lord, we pray that, that you would do that work of grace within us and within them to forgive them for what they've done. Help us to find healing from those hurts so that we don't perpetuate that hurt anymore. Give us the courage and the places where we haven't to go and uh, to, to meet them and talk about what they've done that's been hurtful so we can pursue being reconciled with each other so we can pursue being reconciled with you. And we thank you for the model that you've shown us. We pray that we might be able to offer that same grace and mercy to others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.